Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I hope you've had a, a good week and that uh, the Lord blessed you and taught you and loved you and nurtured you and brought you a little further along on this path of discipleship uh, that we're all on. Uh, if He didn't bring sit down somewhere and God didn't call us to sit down, did He? All right. I want you to take your Bible, look with me in the book of Acts. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, very familiar passage. We'll look at verses, beginning of verse 42 through the end of the chapter. You'll remember this. This is the, the passage um, after the, the Holy Spirit has come in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, and, and initiated the church phase, if you will. Um, and as a result of that, the Holy Spirit compelled the, the apostles out into the street. And Peter preached that first gospel. And some thought that he was, uh, some drunk. And, uh, he had to remind them, I'm not drunk, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. As a result of that sermon, 3,000 people got saved. Was it 3,000 or 5,000? Several thousand people got saved. And the church began. And after that, you, you come to, to these verses and you see it just a glimpse of life in the early church. It says in verse 42. Well, actually, let's go to verse 41. So then all those who had received His Word were baptized. And that day there were 8,000 souls... And they were continually devoted themselves to the apostles and to prayer. And kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And selling their property and possessions and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, understand, he didn't say they sold everything they had. But if they had what they could sell, they sold so that the church would have what? No lack. All right. And they begin sharing them with them. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking out, they part, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Your blessing to the of your word. May it speak to us. May your Holy Spirit be present in this place. For Father, when we walked in this building, we walked into your presence. We don't invite you here. We met you here. And we ask you, God, to speak to our hearts, to do a work in us as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. You can ask people what they're passionate about, and they'll give you any number of answers. How old are you? 14. When I was 14, I thought world rose and set in a football game. Now, I was a, I was a strapping fella, about six foot at, at age 14, five, ten, somewhere in there, five, ten to six foot. And I weighed all of about 110 pounds. Uh, so you see, I wasn't making a lot of noise on a football field. Um, but I, that was what I lived for. I, I longed to play football. 
I remember one Christmas, and I don't advocate this with Christmas coming up, but just I'm confessional here. I remember one one Christmas that uh, in in the days before, I got into my mama's closet and I found my my Christmas present, and it was a brand new leather. Now we didn't have a lot, uh, and and that that was a significant present for us. And I was so excited, man! I had all kind of fun. I couldn't wait for Christmas. For real, you get to play with it. It's passionate about football. Uh, I could ask you what your passions are, and you you may come up with something similar. So, some may say sports or other basketball or other sports, whatever. Uh, anybody passionate about soccer? Oh, I, I, I pray for you guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> do what? Never played soccer. Well, again, confession. We played on a played with a basketball you know how bad a barefoot hurts on a basketball <laughs> yeah not real good so some of you may say sports are, are your passion you may some of you may say some of you may say your your boyfriend or your girlfriend is your passion why do some of you look around uh-huh okay hopefully your spouse uh is your passion some may say singing or music. Now, I like music. Uh, it's an interesting instrument. Uh, but I don't play it well. I play the radio. That's the extent of my musical ability. I have a guitar. I have a couple of guitars. But I don't inflict them on anybody. Uh, that's just for my own. Uh, the cats go to caterwauling whenever I start playing guitar. Anyway. But life is full of passions. Those passions are things that, that make life interesting, that, that kind of make life worthwhile and, and bring interest and, and purpose and meaning to what may otherwise be a rather drab and dull existence. Our, our passions energize us, give us direction, focus. <clears throat> Let me retool the question a little bit. Would you respond, and I'm not asking for responses, but in your mind, how would you answer this question? What is Olive Baptist Church passionate about? If, if people are known for their passions, and, and if people know that, that your passion is sports, or your passion is music, or art, and they see that expressed, what would the community around say that Olivet Baptist Church is passionate about. And our, our text identifies some things that I think the early church w- was passionate about. Uh, they, as they were, were figuring out what this thing meant to, to, to be believers, to be uh, uh, in this newfound thing called the church, to be among the, the people of God. Uh, as they were kind of transitioning uh, and and living in in that 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 uh, time that crisscrossed the crosshairs of of what used to be and what was becoming, uh, this verse, these passages, gives us a little bit of an idea of of maybe what you think. Well, that's unusual. Actually, I think that may be more akin to what normal Christian experience ought.
one of the things that it talks about here, it says, wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. They were praising God down in verse 47 and having favor with all the people. That newfound faith produced some things in them and it produced in them a newfound sense of awe and wonder for holy God. They knew Him now. They were experiencing Him now with the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They were experiencing God in a way before in a way they had never heard of before. That passion for God with us, it all begins there. What does the Scripture say about who God is? First and foremost, God is Creator. He is before time began. At some, and we can only think about this in linear terms, in terms of time and space, but at some point before time, I said, let there be light. And you know, he didn't have to work up to it. He didn't have to, to, to do something with his hands. He simply spoke it into being. He's creator. He's, he's our life giver. Through Christ, not only did He create life, but because of the the presence of sin in this world, and He sent His Son, and He sent His Son so that we might have the opportunity to experience real life, having been affected by the sin of mankind. We were born into sin. We, it's our nature. If you don't believe, Earl Jacqueline, in about two more years, you're gonna look and say touch that TV and what's she going to do? Make a beeline for it. Because what we've done is we've just called our, her attention to it. Well, given the opportunity, we'll act on that sin nature. And we will prove that sin nature within us. And that's why God sent Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that we could overcome that sin nature. We could have new life, perfect life. He's, he's creator, he's lifer, he's, he's savior, he's, he's our hope. To know him was one of, is, is the greatest thing. Can you imagine what it would have been like for Adam and Eve? And the Bible says that he walked with them in the cool of the day. And can you imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve to know that, that in the sun was beginning to set and, and the, the, the air was beginning to cool, that God was going to meet them in the garden? That would have been fabulous, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And sin entered that picture and destroyed that, that opportunity. But to know Him, Adam and Eve, in that cool of the garden, walked with Him. Enoch, the Bible says, Enoch, God knew Enoch, or Enoch knew God so well that one day when they were walking, Enoch didn't go back home, but he just, he, he was translated, he, God took him and brought him on home. What a, what a day of exercise. And he was not. Enoch walked with God, Scripture says, and he was not because God took him. God just said, come on, join arm in arm, and let's just. We disappeared into the clouds, and we, there in the presence of God, our quest 
is to know Him. Our, our, our quest, our call is to obey. Learn to trust Him. Moses found, found fear in God at that, at that burning bush. Samuel heard Him. Just to know Him, our, to see Him, to fear Him, to, to, to experience When your significant other, when, when your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife walks into the room and everything changes. The heart goes pity-patter, thumpity-thump, whatever. They are there. And you can't wait to see them. You, you hate to be... And you long to be with them. That's a passion. And the word that rings out to us throughout the centuries to, to now and, and forevermore until God comes back, till He sends Jesus. Be a passion in us to know Him. To, to have that relationship. To, to desire to, 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 uh, what's a strong word than desire? but to, to have that relationship and, and hold on to God with everything that we have and everything that we are. There needs to be a, a passion for God because everything about us begins there. We recognize who He is. We recognize what He's done, who He is for us. And that ought to produce in us a thankfulness and a desire to know Him, to be obedient all things. I think these are the passions that every church ought to have. If a church can't be passionate for God, who's done all of this for us, who has, has come and saved us and redeemed us, with us day by day, and passion for God and be excited about that, then what will it take? There's another passion that I think is important here. In verse 42, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship bread and prayer. I think it speaks here, passion for His Word. How do we know God anyway? How do we know Pardon? Through His Word, Absolutely. Yes, we do. God teaches us through prayer. But here is where God reveals Himself. Here is where He teaches us about who He is, about, about His character, His personality, uh, his, his holiness, all of those things. Through here, as we experience that. This written word, is God's love letter to us. Now, we would know God. We would have the ability to know God if all we had was the setting of the sun and the setting of the sun and nature. We could see, the Bible says, that we could see and observe that know Him to the same depth that we know because of His revelation of Himself through us. And the same 
all you know of her significant, you see him or her across the way and on the other side of the room, on the other side of the field or somewhere else, the other side of the store, and all you see of them is what you see there. You know a little bit about them, but when, when they write you a letter and they tell you how much they love you, You begin to see a little bit deeper into who they are as an individual. You begin to then grasp the depth of your love. You may understand, they may wave at you from across the way, but when you read it, it takes a, a little more personal nature, does it not? This is, this is God's love letter to you. In here, He tells you the truth. He tells you that He created us. He tells you that we are not here by happenstance. We are not here by chance. But, but God in His divine nature breathed life and, 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 and light into the world and the universe existed and He created it in an orderly fashion and at first and then ultimately He created mankind in His image as the crowning part of creation. And He knows us individually. This love letter to us says that God knows us so well that the very hair of our head is numbered. Now, that's easier for some than it is for others. But still, God knows us that intimately. God says, I know you so well that I know the words that you're going to say before they ever come to your mouth. Now, let's go a little bit deeper. God says, I knew you when you were formed in the womb. You see, this love letter from God to us tells us who we are, tells us that, and in, in some, this is not a scriptural assertion, that we are the apple of God's eye. God loves us all individually, the same. He knows us, He loves us, but He tells us the truth when He says we're a sinner. For this love letter to us says, Paul, he would say through Paul in Romans that, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That all have sinned. But there is a gift. There's a gift that's been given to wipe away our sin. And what you and I could not do, what you and I could not accomplish, the, the sin of sin that, that was, was so deeply uh, ingrained in us that we could not wipe it away. Lye soap couldn't take it away. And all of our effort couldn't turn it away. God did through His Son. And He covered us with His blood. Isaiah would say it this way, though you're scarlet, they shall be white as snow. You know, that's the only in the in, in the Scripture where it talks about that 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 uh, contrast. Any of you photographers? A little bit. You, but you don't have to be a photographer to do this. Let me, let me tell you. you. Take you a piece of candy wrapper. A red candy wrapper. Christmas is coming. You can remember this and you, you can see it for yourself. But take you a piece of, of, of red cellophane transparent candy wrapper. And you, you hold that up to your eye. And you take another piece of paper that's red, construction paper, doesn't matter, whatever. 
and you, t- you put it on the other side of that, that candy wrapper. You know what that red construction paper turns? It turns white. It turns white. Isaiah said, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. What covers us to make what covers us in red to make our sins turn white? The blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers us having paid the price for our sin. And God looks at us through the blood of Christ and our sins are gone. And our life is white. Revelation would say, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And he was, and I saw a new, the, the bride of Christ prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, ladies, you understand this. Us guys, we don't. But you know, you understand the quest for, for, for that, that dress and, and for that dress to be perfect and for you to be adorned with hair and makeup and everything just perfect on that wedding day. Well, you can teach us a lesson about what it means to be the bride, but we're the bride of Christ and God wants to present us to His Son perfectly and white. And that's His love letter to us. So there is the written Word with it that identifies Christ as Savior, that identifies the Holy Spirit as our guarantee, God's down payment to us of heaven. That's what He says in Ephesians. The Holy Spirit in you is God's promise that everything that heaven is is true and the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that God is good for it. But there is also a passion. There's the written word, but there's also, according to John, the word made flesh. John would say it this way. This is how he would do his Christmas story. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory the only begotten of the Father. God put His Word into flesh as an example to us. I think there needs to be not only a passion for God, a passion for His written Word, but I don't don't know how we can be believers and not have a, a passion for Jesus Himself. For the price that He paid, the life that He lived, the death that He died, and the resurrection for our and for our life. If we don't have a passion for His Word, then doggone it, why are we here? This Word means something. Then, then what's our purpose? Why do we exist? This Word exists the psalmist would say, this, this word exists, a light to our feet, a, 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 lamp to our, a lamp to our feet, a guide to our path, so that we may not what? Sin against God. So that we may not sin against God. It's our guide. It's our, it's our help. 
is our lamp in darkness. Hmm. In Psalm 119, verse 16, he says, I shall delight in thy statutes, statutes that your law, and I shall not forget your word. He would say early, and we quoted, Thy word have I hidden in my heart. What, what helps you in the time of temptation? It's that, it's that word of God that you've heart, that you've, you've, you've kept close to your heart so that you can bring it to memory, you can bring it to bear for circumstance. So that you can look and say, in that moment of temptation, when the evil one comes again, you can look and say, I rebuke you, Satan. I resist you. Peter says, resist him and he will flee. Satan roars. But let me tell you a secret. When Jesus rose from the dead, he pulled the teeth and pulled the claws of the lion. Now the lion roars and the jungle trembles. It would say, stand firm, resist, because it's a toothless roar for those of us who are in Christ. A passion for God, a passion for His Word, the Word being Jesus, the, the Word being the written Word. But I think there's also in in this passion. And that's a passion for people. He says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship with one another. They, they believed, they, they took what they had and they sold it so that they could provide who had need. They continued daily in the temple, continued worshiping, breaking bread from house to house. They were with Together, praising God, the key verse, the key passage, and having favor with all the people. That's not just the believer. They were having favor with all of those in Jerusalem. They were in contact. And, it was. and here's, here's the verse that just describes the way it ought to be. As we're having influence, if as we're going about our daily lives, as we're letting Christ live in us and be in us and, and, and exude His presence in us, and we're doing all, we're giving praise to God, we're, we're, we're not giving people any reason to hold, to have anything against us, having faith in all the people, and the Holy Spirit uses this, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day. Those who were being saved. Being saved is a natural product of the Christian faith. What we experience most of the time in the Christian faith is abnormal. We come to church, we sing our songs, we, we do prayers, we shake hands. We hear the message, we go out into the world, 
But next Sunday, it's just the same thing, pretty much same way. Do our music, do our prayers, do our preaching. But we're not having any impact on the world outside. There's some folks I know that seem to take pride in that. We have created a, a bastion. We have created a fortress of safety and security where we can come and leave the world outside. And we're happy to cloister. We're happy to hide. And the world outside goes streaming by. Because the church prayed, apparently, that we're going to be tainted if we get out in the world. And for all intents and purposes, listen to me carefully, we have become modern-day monks and nuns, cloistered inside a sanctuary where we let nobody else in because this is ours. Hmm. And the world goes tripping by, headed for an eternity apart from Christ. So if our passion for God and our and our passion for the Word, our, our to know this Word and understand its teaching and, and to grow daily in it, to grow mightily in it, so that it has its effect in us, if that does not result in a passion for, for lostness and a passion for people to know Christ, then what good is it? John would write in the Revelation, and I, I don't the churches, but he says, he would say to the church at Ephesus, you, you know these things. In fact, let me just look there right quick. He was in the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to test those who call themselves apostles and are not and have found them to be false and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but this I have against you. You've lost your first You've lost the passion. Doctrinally, you are sound. Doctrinally, you are strong. You understand. Word, you know how to recognize false teaching and evil, and you do that. But you left your first love. There's not a passion. He says, remember where you've fallen and repent. A passion for people. If it all begins with God, then our passion for Him inevitably leads us to people. Why? Someone has put evangelism this way. That evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Now, if you who are hungry find bread, isn't it ridiculous when we don't tell them how to find it? Sure it is. If our knowledge, if our does lead us to share information with others, who, who are hungering without it, who are dying without it. 
Isn't it ludicrous? That is dying, that is heading toward eternity, is separated from God. Isn't it kind of crazy when we who know the path don't tell others how to find the path? What a passion for lostness. Then I contend to you that, that what James in his writing is true. James would say, one says, I have faith. And another says, I have works. If what we believe never impacts what we do, then our faith is dry. Our knowledge is dry. But when our faith energizes us to engage a world then our faith is seen as something that is real and attractive. Because people who simply have knowledge but lack passion, they have an unattractive faith. Maybe you've heard the story. And I can say this because I are one. You heard the story about the, the, the Baptist church, the, the guy that was running down the street toward the Baptist church, and the guy, his neighbor said, what? He said, I'm going down the street to the church. He said, why are you going down there? The guy says, because there's a fight going, and I want to get in on it. Well, sometimes that's what we're known for, more for our fussing and fighting than we are for our faith and, and acting. percent of the people that live around us. Harrison, Hancock counties, those counties that make up our association. Eight out of ten people you walk by in the mall. Eight out of ten people you walk by in the shopping center, in the grocery store. Eight out of ten people you see at the at the in the teller line at the bank that you see gassing up their vehicles. Eight out of ten people are far from God in, in this place alone. In this place. On the bottom of the buckle of the Bible belt, eight out of ten people, if Jesus were to come back today, would not hear Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, but would hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you. If, 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 oh, of God does not does not compel us to be in the world telling the story, then what's, what's, what's the reason for it? We who know Christ and know His Word are compelled to share Him with people who need Him. The early church devoted themselves to, to the teaching of the Word and that propelled them to share the truth of who Jesus was. God, oh man, don't giving you one. You're a good old fella, you know, pretty good. Come on in heaven anyway. If I'd, if I'd have given you another day, it'd have been all right. 
one more minute. It had been all right. God doesn't do that. Doesn't do that. Our passion for God inevitably leads us to a passion for people. And these are really connected into one. A passion for God that that does not compel us to know and obey Him and His Word and propel us into a community is selfish. A passion for the Word without, without works and obedience is dry and dusty. And a passion for people without leading them to, to God and, and to know faith in, in God is a waste and leads to a risk of, of accepting unholy behavior. And disobedience to the Word. But when we put these in proper perspective, the people of God He intended us to be will be people full of life, full of glory, people who are attractive to those whose lives are hurting and in need of something different. And He will use us to be the catalyst to bring them to faith in Christ. Not what's in your wallet, what's in your heart. Let's pray. Kind for the wonderful privilege of looking at your word, for letting it teach us. And Lord, I pray we have heard not just the words of a preacher, not just the words of a man, but Father, I pray that we have heard that voice of the Holy Spirit that challenges us, that challenges our convictions, that challenges our belief system, that challenges everything about who we are, so that you can make us what you want us to be. God, maybe there's today that doesn't know you. That's never expressed their faith and trust. That's never heard the Holy Spirit calling unto them. But I pray that when we're done, they'll just make their way to me. and Let us have a talk. Father, I pray that when we leave this place, you will take the scales from our eyes and we'll see the world outside in a, in a different light. We'll see them not as white or black, not as rich or poor, not as have or have-nots, We'll simply see people. We'll see them the way you see them, as people in need of a Savior. And Father, I pray you'll loose our tongues to tell the story, your story. And you get praise and honor and glory in it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.